Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Well, no doubt, here at the beginning of a new year, we will hear... Uh, someone say probably several times out with the old and in with the new now that can be good in some ways but it can sure be bad in other ways newer is not always better you know the problem is that I think a lot of folks today are addicted to change they want something new and uh uh, and uh, they want it right now, and they don't want to even give any consideration as to whether it's better or not, but it's new. So they come out with a new iPhone. Everybody's got to have a new iPhone. doesn't make any difference how good your phone's working. you got to have a new iPhone. You know, they come out with uh, uh, you know, a little cosmetic changes on an automobile, and doesn't make any difference how many miles you've got on your car. You've got to have a, a new car. Uh, sneakers. Some of the kids go wild over certain sneakers, and boy, they, they'll camp out all night just waiting to, you know, to get in the store and pay an exorbitant price for a pair of tennis shoes. Like, you've you got to be kidding me. But they're new. You know, nobody else has got them yet. And I, I want them. Even if I've got to pay more, I'm going to get them right now. Well, you know, all of that doesn't really bother me that much because it doesn't concern me to each his own if that's what they want to do. But it really does bother me whenever it uh, pertains to matters that are important and of great value. Because a lot of times important things, valuable things, some way or another get lost in the shuffle. Uh, and a lot of times it's because I think we become so familiar with them. The old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. There's a lot of truth to that. You know, you just grow accustomed to certain things and after a while, you you know, you treat it with contempt. Uh and, uh, you know, that's all right. And some things, if you're talking about food, for example, I, you know, we like a variety of different foods. Some of us like it all, and uh, and some, you know, get tired of eating certain things. I've about ruined all of my fishing partners because every time they went, uh, you know, I took spam. And uh, that, uh, that, that's, that's what I ate, spam, every time. Finally, old Brother Dennis Maxey got, I could tell he was getting tired of it. And because I'd always say, I'll take lunch. You don't have to worry about it. You know, I'll pick you up and we'll go fishing. And he said one day, he said, why, why don't, why don't I take care of lunch? And uh, so he started packing a lunch and then we decided that it would be better just to eat a Whataburger. But, you know, uh, when it comes to food and things like that, well, it, you know, Familiarity can breed contempt, but believe it or not, that can actually happen with spiritual things. I'm talking about, you know, even certain verses in the Bible. We become so familiar with them that we begin to treat them as though they are of little or no value. And the best example that I can think of is right here in John three, sixteen. And every kid in this 
building this morning could quote this verse. For God so loved the world, notice, that He gave. What did He give? His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so everybody can quote that. The problem is sometimes we do it with a yawn. Rather than being lost in the wonder of it, we treat it, I think, with contempt sometimes. You know, we've reduced it down to a quaint little saying. You know, something you see in Needlepoint, you know, where they make the little plaques on the wall, you know, and uh, it's become a slogan or something that uh, you expect to find on a Hallmark card. You know, it just doesn't impact us as as it should, and believe it or not, there are some folks, and whenever I say some folks, I'm convinced that a lot of people that have been Christians for years, and the preacher gets up and says, all right, the text for the message this morning is John 3.16. It's kind of like, oh no. You know, here we go again. I've been hearing that since I was a kid in Sunday school. I hope nobody feels that way this morning, but we might not come out and say it, folks. But sometimes we lose the, the wonder of, of, of the Word of God. And I'm convinced in my heart that in all of the Bible, in all of the world, there are no greater words ever spoken than John 3.16. They were given by, by the greatest giver. And the greatest gift, remember that the giver is the gift. They were given by the greatest giver and gift, guaranteeing us the greatest gain, all because of God's grace and for God's glory. So we're going to look at this verse this morning. And as I was sitting in my office, I thought, you know, we might look at it every Sunday morning through through the month of January. I, I don't know, but we're going to look at it this morning. As I said, it's probably the most well-known verse in all of the Bible. And, and the most difficult thing in preaching from a verse like this is knowing what not to say. Because believe it or not, there is so much here. Just, just the very first word, for, that, that's a message in itself. The word God, that's another message in itself. God, the little word so... You see, just trying to figure out, what am I not going to say? Because I could just rattle on and on and on this morning. And some way or another, we'd end up getting lost in all of the details. But for the purpose of this message, I want to sum it up in three simple statements. We're talking about the greatest. Tim asked me this morning what the title of the message was, and I just said, the greatest. The greatest what? Well, just the greatest. That's the greatest. And that's what we see here in this greatest verse in the Bible. We see the greatest giver. Notice, it says, For God so loved the world. I don't know whether you noticed it or not, but this verse begins where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God. And here we see that, that, that this verse here starts with our attention on God and Whenever you talk about God, of course, you have to take into account who God is. And we don't have to wonder about that, do we? Because we know the Bible says God 
is love. It doesn't say love is God. It says God is love. And so that being the case, we have to consider then what follows. It says here, notice, for God, remember God is love, for God so loved the world. One of my favorite writers of, of old time, probably, I don't know, he lived 150 years ago, probably James Hastings, and and he, he made a statement uh, that really impacted me. He said, a God who doesn't care doesn't count. Boy, does that ever matter, because believe me, whenever you speak about God, you can get a lot of different opinions about what God are you talking about? Because the world has all of its gods. In fact, there are those who see God in everything. So they say that, it, you know, God's everywhere and so everything is God. And so they worship animals. They worship the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else. But we're talking about the one and only true and living God, the great I Am. That's who we're talking about here. The one who forever is. We're talking about the one that James said is the giver of, notice, every good gift. So God is the greatest giver. No wonder the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. You know, when we think about God, we can think about His great wisdom to create the universe. It's, it's mind-boggling. Suppose you had... The, the power to just fling worlds out there into existence. Think about it. And you just get up in the morning and say, oh, I think I want another planet over there somewhere. There it goes. So you've got the power to do that or you can pull them down. But you're dumber than a rock. And, and so after a while, you've created something that is tragic rather than something glorious. God has the wisdom to put all of this together where everything is working together. And He has the power to do that. The power and the wisdom to do all of those things. And to think that a God like that would be concerned about people like us is absolutely amazing. And it's not God's wisdom that brought me to repentance. It's not God's great power that brought me to repentance. It's not the wonders of heaven, nor the fear of hell, nor anything else that brought me to repentance. It was Romans 5, 8. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners. That just blowed my mind. I couldn't get over that. I couldn't understand how anybody could love me, but especially I couldn't understand how can God love me? Why would God care about me? Nobody else should. Why would God? And yet when I realized that God loved me, that's the thing that turned me from sin to the Savior. God so loved the world. He is the greatest giver. But notice here, not only the greatest giver, but we see here the greatest gift. What did God give? Well, it says God gave His only Begotten Son. Now think about all of the things that God could have given us. God could have given us perfect health. Wouldn't that be something? To be in perfect health. 
You know, probably all of you folks that are getting up around my age, you're probably thinking, you know, and, and saying to yourself, "Oh, I wish I could. I wish I felt like I did when I was 18 or 20 years old. Wouldn't that be something? To be in perfect health, no more doctor appointments, no more meds, none of that stuff. You are in perfect health. God could have done that." But he didn't. God could have healed every disease. But he didn't do that. He could have. He could just speak the word and heal a disease. But he didn't do that. He could have doubled our lifespan. Or tripled it. Or he could have helped all of us live like Methuselah in 969 years. No problem for God. He could... He could just keep you hanging on forever. He could remove every pain. Boy, wouldn't that be something? To live in a pain-free body. God could, but God didn't. God could have given us untold wealth. You know, you just wake up in the morning and the bank calls and says, I... You, you know, I don't know how this happened, but somebody made a deposit of $10 million into your account. Now, God could do stuff like that, but God didn't do that. I'm praying He will, but He hadn't yet. But, <laughs> but to think about what God could do. God could, He could pave all of the streets with gold. He could turn all of the grains of sand into diamonds, but God doesn't do that. And by the way, even if God did all of those things, it still would not have met our greatest need. Because there's only one thing that will meet our need, our most important need, and that's His Son. And that's what God gave. His only begotten Son. You see, He gave us the greatest gift. For the very worst. When Paul said, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. I think he was probably speaking for the way every Christian has felt in their life. That time when you come to realize that you are a sinner in the sight of God. And and, and you have that feeling in your heart. You know that I've got to be the worst person on this earth. And you feel that way because you know what is in your heart. You know how rotten and how vile it is. You and God know. Other people don't know that. And you conclude, I am the chief of sinners. It doesn't make any difference because the Bible says that He tasted death for every man. Notice, He gave His only begotten Son, notice He did it for the world. Not just some little select group over here or over there. He did it for the entire world. And to think that a perfect God could, could love a, a sinful world is something beyond our ability to understand. The only thing we can do is just try to describe it as amazing grace. That God gave His Son, the greatest giver, gave the greatest gift. And as I said a while ago, the hardest part of preaching is knowing what to leave unsaid. And it, just right now, my, my mind's just exploding with comments that I'd like to make. And I, 
I, I, I think I can best sum it up like Paul did when he said, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Paul couldn't find words. He found himself in that same dilemma. What do I say? And he just summed it all up as God's unspeakable gift. The greatest gift that God could have possibly given. But not only do we see in this verse the greatest giver and the greatest gift, we see the greatest gain. Notice it says that we have, here's the gain now, the greatest gift is Jesus. The greatest gain is everlasting life. And of all of the things that man needs, this is the greatest because of the fact that he is forever separated from God without it. You see, there's only one source from which our need can be met. That's Christ. And God knew that. And that's why He provided Christ. But there's only one means by which this greatest gift can be received. Notice what it says. Believeth. Believeth. How much more simple could that be? I mean, that's something that a child can do. Just simply to believe. And that word naturally means that, that you're exercising faith. the seven C's. He didn't say you've got to give every penny in your bank account. So all you got to do is believe. Whosoever believeth in Him. I want you to think for just a little while where you would be without Him. Think about that. Let it sink in. I sat down this week and I tried to figure out what to preach and especially knowing we're getting ready to enter into a new year, and I thought, boy, we need something to really challenge the people. And I got to thinking about Philippians chapter number 3, something I preached about eight or nine months ago, a message, and, and I thought, you know, I think I'll just, uh, I think I'll preach that again. Because it's, you know, really helps us to launch out into the new year. But sometimes, you know, what we need more than anything else is not something new, but we need something, we need to be reminded of something that we already know. We ought to be not just reminded of it, but impacted by it. Think about where you would be without Him. And understand when He says that we have everlasting life, that means more than just eternal existence because everybody's going to exist somewhere every person on this earth will never cease to exist oh one of these days they'll vacate their body we all will but they don't cease to exist they'll continue to live as it were somewhere on and on and on either in heaven or hell and because of christ we who were separated from God can now be reconciled to God. That word reconciled speaks about bringing these two opposing parties together in a state of oneness. And thank God that we can be reconciled to God because the Bible describes us as being the enemies of God. And although we were the enemies of God, now we have become the children of God. 
the Bible tells us that we are condemned. That is, that we are guilty and that we are justly condemned by a holy God, but now we are forgiven and we are justified. It's as though God is saying there is no record of any offense on your part. The old song says, The record's clear today, for He washed my sins away. The old account was settled long ago. That's the way it is for every Christian. You've been justified in the sight of God, reconciled to God. You've become a child to God. And although as a sinner you were headed to hell, now you have a home in heaven. So again, I want you to think about where you would be without Him. We often sing that song, Without Him. By the way, they, they sang that song the very day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. Without Him. Think about where you would be without Him. Boy, we ought to go away from this place so very thankful for all that God has done. Every one of us can leave here with some complaint about something in our life that we feel could be better, some need that we feel is unmet or whatever it is, but we ought to leave here with a heavenly glow on our face and a spring in our step and joy in our heart and praise on our lips because of the fact of who we are because of Him. I mean, this is the greatest gain possible. He says, I'll give you everlasting life. But I don't want you to leave here just thinking about where you would be without Him. I want you to stop and think about where your loved ones would be without Him. Every one of us has somebody that we love, somebody that we care about. It's a relative, a co-worker, a friend. Somebody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. It might be someone who professes to have been saved. They'll tell you that, and yet there's absolutely no evidence they've ever really trusted Christ as their Savior. I, I, I can think about family members that fit that description to a T. They can tell me all they want, that they know they're saved, and yet it, it breaks my heart to think about the fact that there's no evidence that they've ever been saved. And there are others that you can think of that have never made a profession of faith. So I want, I want all of us to think about where our loved ones would be without Him. I want you to leave here remembering this. That John 3.16 should not be just a memory. It ought to be a message for our ministry as Christian people. That, that's our message in a nutshell. Some people want to sit around and argue what the gospel is. Like God didn't tell us. And you'd be amazed how how technical and confusing some of these theologians can be about what is included in the gospel and what's not. Well, I can make it simple for you. It's Christ. I mean, that's, that's it reduced down to the purest form. It's Christ. This is God's gift 
to meet our greatest need that we might have the greatest gain possible, which is everlasting life. And it ought to be our message. It ought to be our motivation as Christians for our ministry. And every Christian ought to have a ministry. We ought to be ministry-minded. Boy, sometimes, some way or another, we, we just let that kind of lurk in the shadows, don't we? You know, we keep church attendance and Bible reading and prayer, all of those things on the, on the front burner, but some way or another, and I don't think we do it intentional, but some way or another, we just, we forget about the great responsibility and privilege we have to tell the world that, that Christ is the answer. That He's the answer to man's most pressing needs. We ought to do what John the Baptist did. You say, well, I don't know. What did he do? Look in verse 36. No, start in verse 34. I want you to get the whole picture. Verse 34, For he whom God hath sent... There you have the world's greatest giver and the world's greatest gift. Speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Now here it is. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. or James, or Bob, or Bill, or whoever your friend, your loved one might be. The wrath of God abides on them. John the Baptist was, was impacted by this very fact that God so loved the world, and that's the message he's relaying to others. You know, it's one thing to call ourselves Baptists, and sometimes we don't even have a clue as to what we really ought to be standing for. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing Baptistic about us if we're not evangelistic, which means that we're getting the Word of God and spreading the Word of God out to those that have never heard. And that ought to be our great joy, is to, because the greatest joy in life is discovering Christ as your Lord and Savior and the well, the next best thing is seeing somebody you love do the same thing. So when we start this new year off, I hope that we will... I met a fellow years ago by the name of Charles Tremendous Jones. He was a motivational speaker. And he was speaking at Baptist Bible College, and I had the chance to meet him. I bought his book, got his autograph, talked to him in a little while. But, but he was the fellow that coined that phrase, that KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Now, I'm not calling anybody stupid, but, but you know, that was, the, that was the phrase that he coined. And it's an important thing. We need to keep things simple. Sometimes we think about our Christian life and all of the stuff we ought to be doing and, and so on and so forth and you know, you come into the service and the preacher says, turn to John 3.16, and it's like, oh no, here we go again. We already know that. And we might already know it, but if we've lost the wonder of it, or if we're not relaying that message to others, we need to hear it again, and again, and again, 
and again. Let's keep it simple, saints. When we enter into this new year, let's keep it simple. Keep our focus where it ought to be. And that's on Christ. The greatest gift from the greatest giver. Keep your focus on Him. And help others get their focus on Him. And I'll I'll guarantee if we do that, it's going to be a happy new year. Let's all stand, Father. Our mind can't even begin to comprehend how it's possible that you could that you could love us. We think about those among us that are the very best, the best that that could be found in all of the world, and yet tucked away in the deep recesses of their heart is vile, filthy sin, hidden from others but known only by you. And to think that You could love us nonetheless. Love us so much, not that You would just tolerate us, but rather that You would give heaven's very best for the very worst here on earth. How we thank You for the greatness of Your love. We thank You not only for Your love, but we thank You, Lord, for expressing that love through the gift of Your Son and the assurance that we can have that by simply believing, by simply trusting in Your dear Son, that we can become one of Your children. And Lord, this morning I pray for that man or woman, some boy or girl that's here that's never really truly trusted Christ is their Lord and Savior. I pray this morning that the Spirit of God will help them to come to that place of belief in their life that they're willing to repent and to exercise faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For we beg it in His dear name. Amen. Now, while